Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Conversation with Carol. I'm your host, Nolan Carroll, and I wanted to do something different. I wanted to get into a little Q&A. People are always asking me questions and asking me about different things going on and, and what I'm involved with. And then people are asking me questions about advice and trying to figure out what they need to do in their lives as far as building, working with other people, going into a new job, career, moving to a new place. So I thought this was, this all just suited the whole conversation. So I'm going to have my buddies that have been with me forever, uh, about five years now, it seems like time's been flying, but they're going to help me out with this. And it's a little Q&A just more so them just answering your questions that you submitted to me. And I've collected actually over a few years now, and, and they're going to also take part, which I'm happy about. So let's get into this thing. All right, man. So, okay, so let's start with, with what you have in your hand right now. So your rum, <laughs> what is it, how does it feel to have a rum company or be part of Yolo Rum? I mean, it, it feels great. And, and I think the best thing about it is, seeing the back end like just day-to-day -day stuff always talking to phil always talking to my mom uh, talking to my brother about it talking to sam talking to uh wiggins like just knowing how it really is to run a company day-to-day -day, that's what people don't see everybody just sees you know where it's being placed and you know the party side of it and that's great that's cool i'm i'm all about it so that if anything that's kind of why i got enticed with it but it's the, the other side, the business side, and, and building it up every single day and knowing what we have and what we are continuing to build. And it's not just looking at one day. It's really like looking out five, ten years from now. Like our plans have been so laid out. It's crazy because you know what's already ahead of you. It's just more so about navigating. And once you get to certain checkpoints, it's like check it off the box because you know, okay, the next part of the journey is coming and Obviously, there's things that happen that slow you down a little bit, but it's all a part of it. And that's the thing that you know, we always chuckle about because I talk to Phil a lot. And some of the stuff that he speaks about is just like, yo, we know this was going to happen, but we just got to keep pressing on. And, and that's what we've been doing. And, and that's why I value this so much, because it's more so about the people behind the brand than it is actual brand, which, you know, I love. How'd you, how'd you, when was the first time you heard about Yolo Rum? <laughs> I was looking at something on the internet. Like, I was looking for something to invest on the internet. And I went into this crowdfunding page. And I was looking through a crowdfunding page, and this popped up. It was like two different liquor companies that popped up. And I saw this, and it was enticed because, like, oh, this is a good name. And people still use the word YOLO. So in my mind, that's what I was thinking, which I, I thought was true. And the more I just dove into it, I was just thinking, let me just invest. So I invested like 200 bucks just to get some stocks, just to say I owned, you know, but I think it wasn't until I got on the podcast with Phil and Wiggins and we started talking. And that's when it really just like clicked me out. These guys are cool. I want to I want to at least see what I can bring to the table. That was my biggest thing. What can I do from how I was playing in the league? How can I bring that 
side of it, almost like a celeb side, of, I guess you want to say, to the table to help build it. And the more I started getting in conversation with Phil and everybody else, and, and I got my mom on board, the more it was just like, yo, let's just, let me be a part of it and help build it the right way. So let me know everything that's going on. I don't want to just be that one person that is just on the, the, the scene, like that, just the face of it, like the Dos Equis man. Like, I don't want to be just known for that. So it's just been cool to, to be a part of it, like I said, and, and be a part of the day-to-day -day and, and being decision-making. Like that's the fun part about it is I can bring things to the table and most of the time it's a, it's a good idea, you know, but if it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work. I don't get bent out of shape over it because at the end of the day, I know I'm working with a team and it's a team's interest. So it's just cool. I have that ability to, to do that and kind of create it, create it my way and, or the team's way. I don't want to say my way, but the way the team sees it and how it benefits everybody. So it's been a cool ride. So let's talk about the taste. Cause you've had, you know, my yeah. dad make a couple of things uh -huh. with it. You're sipping on it right now. So what is, what is it, what, what's so different about Yolo Rum? Like what, what's the difference between the silver, the gold? What's the taste like for somebody that's never tasted it before? It's unique. That's the thing about it. We've won so many different awards because when you line it up against just similar rum companies in the industry, they go for taste. And the taste is comparable to Look, you can put up to vodkas if you want to. It, it's, it has that, I don't want to say the exact taste like it, but it's similar to where it's not. When people think rum, they just think sugar, like real Caribbean sugar, and they don't think it's as good as a Patron. They don't think it's as, as good as a, a Hennessy. So they shy away from it because they, they think that in their mind. But in actuality, this is like a vodka, and this is like a whiskey, like a, a bourbon whiskey almost, and that's what makes it unique and on top of that. It's gluten-free and sugar-free, which all these health nut people out here nowadays, they want to be healthy all over. But if you're drinking alcohol, I don't know how healthy you are. So at the end of the day, it works. It's something that's a bonus. It's an added. So how many times a day are you, are you enjoying this? This? Yeah. I don't try and drink too much. That's a misconception about me. That's what people think is that I drink every day. And I, I don't, I, I just can't do it. There's no way I can function by doing it. But there's certain times like now and when we're on the podcast, I'm going to keep drinking, but I don't try to as much. So I, I, I want to, I want to enjoy it when I crack it open because it signifies something that is going on. Like whether it's an achievement that we've all done, whether it's something I, I've gotten good news or you know, where I've just finished everything and it's more of a reward. I'm not a, a person that's always out there trying to drink because that's not, I don't want that to be me, you know. So yeah. here and there, I'll try to. But when I need to celebrate, I celebrate. So <laughs> how about, I find the history so fascinating, especially with Don Pancho. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of people that still don't know that, but I think it's so freaking cool how you guys came to meet him and, and you know how he's involved in what he's doing so like talk a little bit about that because i think that's cool yeah this was this was a longer story a little bit so uh, to the beginning um phil met his wife uh, i believe he met her in nicaragua or, or panama one of the two it was nicaragua 
and or Ecuador, one of the Central American countries. And uh, does that pick it up? Doesn't matter, huh? See, that's the greatest thing about this. We can just keep going. I love it. All right. He meets her, and I think they go on vacation. And I believe it was Nicaragua is where they went. When we went to Nicaragua, he was walking by a bar, and these guys asked him, hey, look, try this. Try this rum. And he had never had rum before. And when he had his, he said, oh, man, this is you know, amazing. Where is this made? Like, where can I get something like that? And in between there, his wife knew somebody in the family, knew a master distiller that lived in Panama. And they went to visit him. And long story short, he gifted him two recipes of Yolo rum. And he created that. But along the way, he was telling people that he knows Don Pancho and everybody's like, no, there's no way the guy has been dead for like 40 years or something like that. And he kept saying, no, I know him. I know him. Mind you, Phil's never taken a picture with this guy yet. So I think in around 2014 or 15, he takes a picture with him finally. And he posted on Facebook or he posted somewhere, I think on Yolo rum website. It was like, Oh shit. Like this guy's still alive. And the other story behind that was Don Pancho Fernandez is his full name. And he's from Cuba. But when he was in Cuba, it was only Don Pancho was his, his whole name. And something was going on, Cuban government, all that stuff. He wanted to leave. So he gets out. I think he didn't want to be in the Navy or he didn't want to go in the military. He didn't want to get drafted. But when he was in Cuba, he was working under somebody else that was teaching him how to make liquor and he worked for uh, Fidel Castro so he passed away I think after that guy passed away is when he decided to leave the country so when he left the country he changed he just added Fernandez to his last name so everybody assumed that he died in Cuba and this was whenever they were going through whatever they were going through in the, the, the 50s or 60s and he'd been in Panama ever since, just using that name. So nobody even batted an eye or even tried to connect the two. And finally, when Phil took his picture, because this guy's never taken pictures out in the public, it was like, well, wow, this is, he's got something here. And that's what began kind of the hype behind Yellow Rum. And it's just been cool to see it because his name holds weight. It holds a lot of weight. So when people are really trying it, and then we tell them a little bit about that story, it makes it more unique. It makes it more prestigious in our eyes. And you can even tell just by how everything is presented and how it looks. It's trying, we're trying to be sleek here. That's what we want to be. We want to be classy. This isn't just something where you think of shots all day. You know, this is something where you can just chill by the fire and, you know, chill out on vacation, chill out in your pool or chill by the fireplace. So that's what Yolo is really about, but that's how that whole thing started. Yeah, it's, it's a cool story, man. You guys are, how many states are you guys in right now? 38 states right now. 38 states. Yeah. When you first started, where, how, how many states were you in at, at the beginning? Because I know that there was a point where you guys kind of got stuck and couldn't. Yeah. I th when I came on, it was 27 states, I think, or 31. 
one of the two, I, I can't remember which one, but now we're in 38. And obviously 2020 kind of messed things, some stuff up, but it helped us out a lot more because we're able to branch out to the places we were already existing a lot better as far as more volume. And then that just enabled us to open other doors to other states. Like we were able to get New York and New Jersey uh, this year. We finalized it this year, which is huge because those are I mean, two big states. And that I think came from just us showing that we're still around after so many years. And Phil started this in I think 2013. So from 13 to 22, eight years, nine, well, 12. So it's been nine years. That's a long time for a company like this to be around and still progressively as the years have gone on, do well. And we keep saying nothing's overnight and that's why we like it because all the intellectual property we have is solid. It's not just one of those things where we're just slapping a logo on there and we're just trying to sell as many bottles as we can. This stuff can, be, we do everything by the book, which makes it, you know, more enticing and, and more appealing for me and to continue to work with this brand because the foundation is solid. And that's what's important. And you, Yolo Rum, or the company owns the trademark Yolo, right? Yes. Yes and no, okay. to a certain extent. Okay. I say that because actually it's a yes, because Phil told us he told us last week we have it, or two weeks ago we were on a a Zoom call with this investor, and we have it. He got some. I think it was 2011 where he trademarked, he tried to file for the trademark. And as he was filing for the trademark, Sazerac made an opposition. Like, you know, when you have to do a patent and all, it has to go public to see if somebody is uh, gonna counteract it. Sazerac did that. Sazerac's one of, it's actually the biggest company as far as like alcohol in, in I think the world. Sazerac is, is a big one and he got pushed back for like two, three years, but then he ended up owning the rights to it. So anything, yellow beer, yellow wine, yellow vodka, yellow Hennessy, yellow, anything with yellow, yellow water, he owns it. We own it basically. It's, so he, like I said, intellectual property is important. It's not just about just having a logo and slapping it on the bottle. If you don't have your stuff in order, there's no way you can really be in this game. And, and the fact that we have those things, shit, is very important, so. Heck yeah. Where are some places, is this your second, is this your second business venture? Because if we started with you with Dube, yeah. and after Dube, was this like the, the next thing that came business-wise, I guess as? Mm -mm. This was first. This That's was what people first. don't realize. This was always first for me, I just, I knew it was gonna be a longer play. I just didn't know how things were gonna unravel. Cause behind this, I wanted, I had a golf tournament that was in 2018. So in 17, this is when I found the company and I thought it'd be cool to have a liquor company that I thought was my own be a part of a golf tournament. And I didn't get in contact with anybody for almost a year and then after that, that's when everything started coming together. But this was first. Dube was second. And Dube, Dube was more of a project. Like, I had it for a year. But the thing I was able to do was build it 
and then sell it basically back to the company, which I thought was good because I was able to tell myself, you know, I can do it. And the thing with Dube was, and it showed me, one, I didn't want to be in a brick and mortar store, like a physical store going there every single day. I, after a while, it got taxing. But then two, every single month you had to recreate. Like it was all about marketing when it came to Dube because it was a new product. So people, especially where we were in South Beach, it was like, you know, you don't want to take time to go and take a picture of yourself when you can go to the beach or you can go and drink or you can do all these other things that's in South Beach. So we had to get creative with what we were doing every single month. And some months were good, some months were bad. Like one month we made like $40,000 in one month. I was like, oh shoot, that's dope. We're gonna keep doing this. And then next month's like $2,000. Next month's like seven. So I started seeing, all right, I know what works and what doesn't work as far as certain marketing points and what can trigger for people. But at the same time to continually do that every month to get people, it became taxing, but it, it was me working for somebody else. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted my own. So being able to build it the way I was, and I had, a, there was this Italian dude. He came like three different times wanting to be together in business. He wanted to do one across the bridge in, uh, in Brickell. But I had the rights until like Aventura Mall, which was way up there. And it finally got to where I had built it up to the right spot all I did was just pass it over to the company. The company passed it back over to him. Now, what he did with it, I don't know. And then 2020 happened, but that was the second one. And that taught me how to do all this, basically all this stuff here is every single month, you got to figure out something or at least plan, but. Was it scary getting into that? Like like coming straight out of the league and like knowing that okay, I want to try business and then getting into that, was it, did you have like any concerns about, okay, like, Am I going to lose money here? Or you just... No, I never did at all. Like, Because I already knew there was going to be something I, I wanted to do after. But I didn't want to get into the conventional stuff. I already knew automatically I could... Well, I don't want to say automatic, but I knew I could do broadcasting. Or I knew I could do coaching. I knew I could do all those things. But I wanted to try and see if I could do my own thing first before I even went back into doing any of that. But at the same time, I had to understand who I was going to be outside of a helmet. And that's why I, I wasn't scared to do it because I knew at the end of the day, I had other things I could fall back on. It wasn't, it's not hard to do any of those things because I already know football. Like it's been natural for me for 16 years. So it's not hard to strike up a conversation and talk about formations or talk about situations in the game or look at a game and know exactly what's going on, what the weak points are, what the commentator might talk about because it's just we've watched film so much that we know what works what doesn't work certain conversations that we had in the meeting room as far as adjustments and different situations around the league from other games that were stuff that we had to get ahead of or at least prepare for so if they happened to us we'd be ready so that was not hard for me, but I knew if I didn't do it, I was going to regret it at some point in life. The investment of dupe, was that something that paid off? Did you break even? Did you lose money with dupe? Is that... No, actually, I didn't lose any money. Lose and I was able to... The funny thing about it, I was able to learn how to invest in something else. And that's what helped me out with, with dupe, and I'm glad I went through that, because then I was just able to use that money and, and put it in something else. Did MPH come after that? No. Uh... 
Cause that, I think that's cool how you came with how you. Well, MPH was fun. That just fell into it. Because in... MPH, you found out about MPH being at Duke, right? Was that the no? Uh, I was flying my son. We we were flying to Orlando, and we we're flying out of Opalaka Airport. And in Opalaka Airport, they had all these exotic cars. I'm thinking, people don't just get off a plane and order exotic cars. You have you should. You have your own car, but I guess that's opposite of, of what it really is. So my brother sends me their profile. I'm like, I don't know about that. And I remember I had three of my teammates, and this was when I was at Duke, three of my former teammates, they were coming to Miami. So I'm like, yo, come to Duke. And at the time, my plan, what I wanted to do was I was starting to understand like how to brand and, and how to build it a little bit. Cause I was, I was starting to figure it out for myself. And one of the things that I wanted to do with the guys was have them have their own figurine and be able to sell that, sell it at whatever price they decided. So if you, if they were a guy that was a pro bowler and you had a small figurine, six inch was like 200 bucks, they could sell it for 400 and you're not doing anything except taking a picture. You don't have to do anything else. You get yours and you can tell everybody, hey, go and buy it on my website or submit an order. They would figure that stuff out. But then we would just get the order and I would just pay for whatever it costs. But I wanted guys to start building their own brands because when I was playing football, I didn't have a football card. I didn't have a figurine. I wanted those things when I played. And there's a lot of guys that don't have it or don't know who to talk to to get their own stuff. So I thought that would be something cool to for guys to do. But... Anyway, I asked these three guys, and they said, yeah, we're going to come through, yada, yada, yada. Across the street is finger licking. And people that don't know finger licking, it's probably one of the best soul food down south places in South Florida. It's great. It's amazing. And I remember they were across the street. Didn't come into the, They didn't come into Duke. I guess they forgot. I'm going to assume they forgot. Went into finger licking instead, and I just remember looking across the street. And I'm just like, hmm, that's a nice car. It was a Rolls. It was, it was a Dawn. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's nice. And I saw it on their Instagram, so I already knew what, what type of car it was. I'm like, okay, they got that. In the back, I got my Phantom. And I'm just thinking. What year is your Phantom? It was 2019. And I'm just thinking at the time, I'm like, man, I got my car in the back. I'm working here. Those guys got a rental car. I had to try and find a way to get into like something like this. And then shoot, it ended up happening. And I gave them a few cars just to try it out. And shoot, I was like, you know, I, I wanna be like, this is cool. I don't have to do anything. And that's when I started figuring out how to make kind of your money work for you in a way is, is leasing it out. That was, that was, I didn't, I mean, not lease it out, but just rent it out, take advantage of basically the entertainment part of Miami, because that's really what it is. People well, come down there like, to do it. They're not like regular re car rental, because they, they, they're like... They're up there. They're, they're up there. Man, they, they have they have a well-rounded business. I remember when you took us to go meet with, with Liam, that's his name, right? Yeah. Liam, they have something. They got some good stuff. Built, but that was, that's when I started seeing like behind the scenes stuff as far as like business and how you can actually do it. I started paying attention to it more just to see 
certain traits from it. And then I started implementing it in other things and shit. That was good. Like, it's still good. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's still good. You still got your card. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They opened a location in Orlando, right? Is that the new one you want? Uh, I think they still got it up there. Okay, so let's talk about that helmet that you got on the table. Because that, I, I, feel, I feel like that's the, the, the most recent thing you dived into, and I think it's what's taking the majority of time. Shoot. <laughs> taking up a lot of time. Because I remember when, when, we, when we met you, not too, not too early, but maybe after, you were already talking about doing this. Yeah. But So you were, I know that you were talking, planning, and it, there's, a, there's, I think, what, a year or two or maybe a more than that till you actually got to start working on it yeah. for real and start talking about it. Yeah. So how did that come up? Man. It was really my... There's a combination of stories. So my brother played basketball in, in college. And he... After he graduated, he wanted to play you know, professionally. He ended up playing uh, semi-professionally, but he wanted to go overseas, like, far. He, he wanted to go to G League. He wanted to go to the NBA, basically. So he was going to different camps, trying to go to other leagues, you know, to get seen, but people were always, like, misleading him and conning him in a way. And, you know, after a while, my brother's like, yo, this is ridiculous that people are are doing that and they're taking advantage of a lot of young kids dreams and you know they're messing it up because a kid that generally wants to go somewhere he's putting his trust in you and it's not working out the way he would like and you're just running off into the sunset with his money and my brother was fed up with that so he decided to create a structure that was tailored to players and give them the correct advantage to, to do what they need to do. And, and as far as you know, my end, it, it was politics. It was a lot of politics when it came to football. And I had to learn how to know that this was a business. That's the thing you don't understand about football. A lot of people on the outside looking in don't see that side of it. And it is a business. And the faster you learn it, the more you'll be able to understand how the game works. And just having those two entities together we were driving you know we were driving from fort lauderdale to see my parents one weekend and my brother said look i got this plan you know i got this structure that i think will work i think it'll work in our hometown and he said that look there's a lot of kids from the pandemic that have no scholarships have nobody looking at them and they're just on the street But at the same time, those kids are getting desperate and they're going to these places that are just popping up and they're taking advantage of them, taking 7,000, 10,000, 20,000 from these kids. And, you know, they got to live in their cars now. These are kids that are driving from California, coming over to North Carolina, hoping that their collegiate dream is still going to progress because that's what they still want to do. And they get to the place and there's no field, they have no equipment, they have no place to live. And the people that have been talking to and contacting them, they're nowhere to be found. They're run off with the money. And guess what? They just pop up in another location and do it over again. And my brother was saying, look, we need to try and change that because there's a lot of kids that went through what I went through. There's a lot of kids that you know in football that you can help because you've been through 
a lot of stuff in the process to get to, you know, the NFL. He said, let's come together and let's try and create a basketball team and let's try and create a football team and have it as a sports academy, a sports program for the kids, allow them to still go into school, be in college and still have their credits opposed from post-grad where you're not really taking any college courses and not preparing you for college. And then you're, you're basically starting to cycle over again somewhere else. Let's try and advance the kids as much as we can if they're there for a year or two and get them ready somewhere else where they're able to play right away and they're mentally sharp on and off the field. And you know that, that ride was only supposed to take, it was like four hours and 15 minutes. It took maybe six hours because we, we talked. We talked about almost every single situation, scenario that could go on that we need to look out for to make sure that if we were going to do this, we need to do it right. We couldn't just jump in it based off of motion and just trying to change the world. You know, we knew it started locally. We knew what was going to at least be in front of us, what was going to be the opposition. But this is the plan that we need to stick to. And we didn't just jump into it. Like we made sure we spoke to our family, see who wanted to be a part of it. We ended up talking to one of my best friends, actually is my best friend, uh, Michael Carter. I knew him in college and I asked him if he wanted to be a part of it. And he didn't hesitate. Like he didn't hesitate at all. And he was just trying to find the right people before we were ever saying, look, let's announce this thing. And once we started, it's, it's the first year had its ups and downs. I'm not even gonna lie to you, but now where it is and, and how it's progressed and grown, sh shit. Yeah, and people, is, pe pe I don't think people understand. You guys already played your first season. Yeah. Yeah. Did, I mean, we were there. We did yeah. the practices. We did the, the, the game. Well, you've seen it firsthand. Y'all had your first season. Exactly. Right? So what you learned from the first season, all the way from the staff to the players, what did you learn that, that first season? I learned that you got to find the people that are like-minded. Like, you can't, you can't go off of what people say at all because everybody talks a big game. We had some coaches... We even had some players that talked a big game, but when it came time to really do it, there's nowhere to be found. Like everybody wants a six pack until you gotta work for it. Everybody wants it, it looks good, but then all of a sudden, it's like, oh man, this, this is this burns a little bit. So you're like, oh shit. I don't know how bad I want abs. I want that cake instead. That's what it is. People will talk a big game, they'll they'll feel good talking about it. But until you actually gotta go out in the deep end and do it yourself and do certain things that you don't necessarily want to do, getting up early, staying up a little later, sacrificing stuff on the weekends, like your favorite pastimes, like that's when it's real. And people got to understand it. Like if you really want to be invested in what you really want to do, there's some shit you got to give up. And you got to really ask yourself if you want to give that stuff up. If you don't want to give it up, then don't be complaining when somebody else is doing it. That's really... That's the honest question. You got to really look at yourself in the mirror. You're the only one that can ask yourself that. I, I just know when you see certain people doing certain things, you know they already made their mind up. Like, this is what they're doing. Come hell or high water, they don't they don't care. They just want to do it. So So getting back getting back into Jay, what, what do you, what's the, because um, obviously you guys, you guys did help a lot of guys out. And you try to help a lot of guys out. What do you, what did you see the first season? Like, what, like, 
a lot of guys were coming out of COVID and obviously that circumstance. You know, what what what, what was the conditions of some of these guys? Like, wh- wh- how were they coming in? Were, were they coming out of playing time, not playing? Mm-hmm. You know, what was the the mentality like? Were they ready to go to the next level? What 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 was that like? Entitlement. That word kept presenting itself when we were coaching, when we were talking to people associated on the team. A lot of entitlement. These kids felt like, for one, yeah, they felt like they got overlooked, but at the same time, too, when they came to us, they felt like one game, one practice, they should be at a Division One school immediately. And for us, we know the process. Like, we know each of us have our own journey that we went through playing football to get to where we got to. And we're trying to let them know, guys, it doesn't it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a week. It's not going to happen just during camp. Like, schools ain't about to come and look at y'all and start offering you scholarships. Most of them don't even know who you are. You weren't that heavily recruited before. What makes you think of just a month of practice, they're going to come looking at you guys now. You have to earn it. Like, your resume is your film. Coaches will only look at you based on your film. And then the extra stuff will be what we tell them as far as your character. How you are with your players, how you are in the community, how you are in school. Like those are the things that's the icing on the cake from you being a player. Because if you're at our school, you're at our program, they already know, at least the people that we're talking to, they know us. Our name is attached to the school. Our name is now attached to the players. So when they want to find a player or when we're presenting a player, they already know they're good as far as character guys. And for us, it was fighting that entitlement battle of our players because a lot of them had character issues as far as authority, punctuality, and just understanding certain situations in the game. There'll be things we would tell them that's going to happen. We know it because we've been through it. They still didn't listen. And they thought they knew it better than us because of whatever school they went to or whatever JUCO they transferred from or however they, whatever they thought they were, they thought they knew it better than us. And look, pride goes to the side when it comes to football with me. If, if I can get it done with somebody else, I'm going to know how to work with that person. But if I'm trying to teach you exactly what's going to happen, what's going on for your benefit, no benefit to me, fucking pay attention. And that's what they weren't doing. And that's what we had the hardest time with. And it wasn't just the players. It was coaches, too. There were coaches that, because they coached, I don't know, wherever they might have coached, their, whatever was in their pedigree or whoever they knew, they just automatically thought, hey, look, I deserve X amount of dollars. Well, no, you got to prove it still at the end of the day. You got to prove it to me. The one thing I do know about players, guys that have played in the NFL, CFL, AFL, it doesn't matter. I, I see it now. If you've been a, a professional, there's a certain way you go about certain things. There's a certain way that you act. There's a certain way that you talk. There's a certain way that you have a level of respect for your counterparts that have done it as well. And that was lacking. And we had to remind some people sometimes what it's like to really do it. And when your actions don't line up with your words, that's when we have a problem. And That was what we were seeing as the season was going along. But we ended up, the great thing about football is that when it gets harder, 
the weaker minded people fall off. And that's what started happening. And at the end of the season, we had guys that were like-minded, guys that were strong-willed, guys that wanted to work at it. And it showed in our last game. And I was very pleased with how the whole season went about and how it concluded on a high note because there was some stuff we went through. We went through a lot of shit just trying to get to, you know, where we are now and, and what we're continually, continually trying to accomplish. Were, how many guys, because I know there were some guys that received uh, uh, invitations and, and some guys that actually received scholarships. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that, because I, I, I don't think people understood that there 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 was fruit that bared from, uh, from, from oh, yeah. the season. Yeah, the whole plan was to build that opportunity for these kids that were looking for and it comes back to what I was talking about of, of getting taken advantage of as these kids was building that opportunity and showing people that we can get it done. We, we knew we could get it done. We were confident that we could do it just because of who we knew. It was just showing the public. And everybody's in the show me instead of just trusting nowadays. And that's kind of the battle. But to be able to get, I believe we were up to six kids that we ended up getting actual offers to and getting looks, that was the important thing for us. That was the end goal. That was what we wanted to show everybody what this whole process was about because not everybody knows. And most of the parents were entrusting us with their kids being there and they didn't know the process themselves. So there's a lot of hesitance as far as things that were going on. We had our ups and downs. If uh, we had a couple guys quit Parents start questioning the validity of the program. You know, if we had some guys we had to kick off the team, parents were questioning the validity of the program. So it became one of those things where we had to just continually prove to everybody, not just the players, that this is the right process. This is what you have to go through to get your reward. So for us, we had seven guys that were academically eligible, uh, according to NCAA terms, to be able to get a scholarship to go somewhere. And we got it for six guys, and we take pride in that because, man, those kids had nothing before. And if you think about it, their four years in high school, their coaches didn't get it to them, but we were able to do it in three months. So for us, that was that was an accomplishment because it takes a lot to coach, man. It, it really does. And for us to be together like that, you don't realize how much of a connection you need to have with your coaches to also have with your team to be able to make sure that when shit hits the fan, you guys are always on the same page and you can all be together as one instead of having one coach over here, another coach over there, and you start tearing the team apart. It's keeping everybody together because there was points in time where I had to kick guys off the team, where I couldn't play guys. Like I told them, look, the stuff that you're doing is counteracting what we're trying to build here as far as being late to meetings, being late to practice, not showing up to practice, making mistakes in the game, starting fights, undermining coaches. Like those are things we can't have happen because that shows to the other guys on the team that it's okay. And that's not it. Like we can't have that. So it was definitely a learning experience, but getting through those bumps was definitely something I needed. The rest of my coaches needed, the whole program needed because next year we're, we know what to expect. We know what the standard is. And 
they people want to be a part of this because this ain't going anywhere. Like people before had their doubts. You're here to stay. We're we're not going anywhere. So, so. what's 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 next? Obviously, that helmet is completely different from the one from the yeah. season. Yeah. Uniforms are going to be completely <laughs> different. So what's, what, what's changing and what should people be expecting for, for the return of the Jacksonville Bucks? I think the same thing that we've been promising is if you want your kids to have an opportunity or continue and have an opportunity and make it be, make it the right way, I mean the right way as far as educating everybody the parents and the, t the kids and guidance counselors at school the community as far as what we are that's what we want to continue to do because this is in a way we're teaching the kids how to be professionals real professionals in the league like I was I'm just taking those experiences my coaches are taking those same experiences and, and trying to ingrain it in these in these kids minds that look Everything nowadays is a business. Like everything that you do every single day, your reputation is on the line. Everything that you do, you're being judged for. So if you're going to be out and about, if you're going to be representing these colors, this logo, this program, you got to do it the right way. You got to do it the way we're teaching you because we know down the line, it's going to help you out. It's going to help you out whether you stay with us, you transfer to another school, if you're lucky enough to you can play in the CFL, you play in the NFL one of these days. You don't know how these things happen because there's guys from junior college that end up playing in the NFL. The, one of the best examples, I think, is, is Cam Newton. Cam Newton was at Florida. He went to Bling College. After Bling College, and he went to Auburn. Auburn won a national championship. Bam. He was a first-round piece. Of, I think number two pick overall, number one pick, something like that. But when he was at Florida, he was Tim Tebow's backup. Nobody knew who Cam Newton was when he was at Florida. He got in some trouble, got kicked out. Junior college saved him. We're doing the same thing for these guys. It could end up that same way. And when people look back and they see what we're doing, they know that it's done the right way. It's done the way to prepare the students to be prepared for whether it's still playing or life after football. And that's not just with football. It's with every sport, basketball, women's soccer, uh, baseball, everything that we continually add every single year. It's going to be a reflection of that. Bro, I think this was, uh, this is, this is good. This is good. Should I wrap it up? I like this a little bit better than just interviews. Uh, it's more, I guess it's more personal, but what Andrew said, people don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So there you go. We'll have more Q&A, guys. We'll have more stuff as the season goes on, but... It's more of an insight, like I'm happy to share with you because shoot, the last four years since I've been retired has been fun. It's It's been an experience. It's one that I love and, and continue to, to share with you all. So continue to stay in, stay in, stay tuned and look forward to next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.